Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Say that with me. Ye are the salt of the earth. Now look at your neighbor and say, I am salt. We're going to talk about this, all right? But if the salt has lost his savor or his flavor, what's the point in using it? Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Now in order for us to completely understand this, we need to understand the context of this scripture. Okay? Understand that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of the books of the Bible, none of them were written in chapters and verses. None of them. They were written as letters. They were written as epistles. So they weren't written in cha- with chapters and verses. In fact, a lot of Paul's letters were written in prison while he was in prison. We call them the Pauline epistles. So when we look at Matthew chapter 5 and we look at verse 1, 2, 3, 4, those, those are... Uh, those are reference points that was later put into the scripture. So when we get down to verse number 12 and then we slip into verse number 13, we need to understand that this is literally a continuation of the same conversation that Jesus was having with the disciples. So Jesus began uh, training the disciples by talking to them about how that they could be blessed. Remember last week, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is God's system and ways of doing things. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Remember, every one of these has a promise with it. Blessed are they that mourn, they're going to receive comfort. The peacemakers are called the children of God. Then it goes on, verse number 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 11 and 12, and you could probably just go on with verse 13, 14, and 15 from that point on. It says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, and if the salt's lost its savor. So what Jesus was saying here was, when men revile you, when they persecute you, when they say all manner of evil against you falsely, when they work against you, remember, you are salt and light. That's what Jesus was saying here. It's a continuation of the same conversation. I think it's important for us to understand that's the continuation of the same conversation. So what Jesus was saying is there are going to come times in your life when you'll be attacked for your faith. There are going to come times in your life when people are not going to understand the choices that you are making and the decisions that you are making. They're not going to understand why you are radically saved. They're not going to understand why you're so cranked up and souped up and excited about Jesus. They're not going to understand it. And they're going to get really irritated about you living with the joy of the Lord in your life. I mean, walking around, how dare you as a Christian walk around with a smile on your face? How dare you walk around with a spring in your step? How dare you uh, express the joy of living for the Lord? And so the world, what's going to happen with the world is they're looking for what we have but they're looking for it in the wrong places. And so the Bible said there is pleasure in sin for a season. But how many of you know that seasons come and go? There's going to come a time when the sinner's going to get tired of sinning. They're going to get tired of drinking all the time. Oh, they might go get another drink because they're addicted, but if you really corner them and ask them, they'll say things like, I just wished I didn't have to do this. And and, and what happens is before long the pleasure is gone and the addiction sets in and after the addiction then comes the depression and the oppression and all of these types of things and then comes the critical spirit towards the Christian. 
because we walk around with the joy of the Lord inside of us. We walk around with the spring in us. Not that we, I mean, we're not always, we're supposed to rejoice all the time, but let's be honest here. You know, not every time we go into a battle and, and get knocked around a little bit, you know, we're not always smiling, are we? I mean, anybody that says they are, they're lying. They need to come to the altar and pray through in Jesus' name. Everybody knows Hezekiah 3.5 says liar's fright. No. <laughs> Lord, there's going to be rabbit trails in this one. But it's important for us to understand that Jesus was talking to the disciples in the same conversation. And he said in the midst of all of this, while you're being blessed, while you're being comforted, while you're being called the children of God, when people talk about you, when they revile you, when they say false things about you, go on their character, little character assassination uh, episodes and campaigns against you and try to rip you down and destroy you and all that because you're a son of God, an heir of God, because you belong to me. He said, you need to remember that you are the salt of the earth. So the encouragement to be salt and light comes on the, on the heels of the beatitude that teaches us that we can be persecuted through people's words. Now, when I was putting this together, I came up with this phrase. I felt uh, this was a good way to put it. As salt, we can describe salt as kingdom influence in a difficult world. You and I have kingdom influence in a difficult world. So what Jesus was saying was in the midst of a world that is dark, in the midst of a world that is despondent, in the midst of a world that is in despair, that is a master at putting on the face to make it look like everything's okay, but inside they're dark and they're despondent and they're in despair. In the midst of all of that, I can give you kingdom influence. And the church today should never be influenced by the world. We should be world influencers. The world should be influenced by us. We should not be influenced by the world. Why? Because we are the salt of the earth. Now, Albert Barnes' commentary was very informative and enlightening on this passage. I thought it was very interesting. So I'm going to read to you what he said in his commentary. He said, The salt used in this country, in America, is a chemical compound. And if the saltiness were lost, or if it were to lose its savor, there would be nothing remaining. However, in eastern countries, which is the area where Jesus was teaching, in eastern countries, the salt used was impure, mingled with vegetable and earthly substances so that it might lose the whole of its saltiness and a considerable quantity of salt without flavor remained. This was good for nothing except that it was used, as it said in the scripture, to place in paths or walks as we use gravel. So what Jesus was doing, Jesus was reaching into the day and age in which he lived and he was reaching and grabbing something that they would understand. Now let me say a few things about salt, okay? We can say a lot of things about salt, obviously. We're going to talk about some of those. But when Jesus was talking to the disciples about salt, what came into their mind was something that was totally different than, than what would naturally come into our mind. When the Bible says you're the salt of the earth, we're thinking uh, put some salt on my steak or my potatoes or something, right? So that's what, or we're thinking salt, high blood pressure. So, I, well, you know, I mean, but we're thinking of something totally different. Listen to me very closely. Jesus was in a culture where many times the Roman soldiers would be paid with bushels of salt. How many has ever heard the term, they're not worth their salt? You heard that? That's where that term came from. They're not worth their salt. And so uh, in order for, the, for us to accurately understand what Jesus was saying when he said you are the salt of the earth, then we need to kind of disconnect what we think and we need to go back to the culture in which Jesus was, was at and when, where Jesus was teaching and we need to try to understand the meaning of salt in their culture. In fact, there's an entire mountain over in the Middle East that is made almost entirely of salt. The rocks are like salt. It's salt. It's a salt. It's like a salt mountain. Also understand that the disciples were very experienced and very familiar with the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, there's nothing that lives in the Dead Sea because it's salty. It's too salty for anything 
to live in there. And so Jesus was reaching out and grabbing something that they could understand to try to make his point to the disciples there. And he was trying to help them to understand, you are the salt of the earth. And just like there's a mountain over there that has salt and there's a sea over there that has salt and salt is a commodity and it's also a currency. And so in order for them to understand it, we have to in our mind think when Jesus was talking to them, they were thinking commodity and currency. They were thinking medicinal purposes. They were thinking pure purposes, they were thinking preservative purposes, they were thinking all of these things and so when Jesus looked at them and said ye are the salt of the earth, don't lose your flavor, it meant something a whole lot deeper to them than what it would mean to us if we were just reading the scripture and passing on through it. So let's just kind of hold that in our mind as we talk a little bit today about what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, in order to help us understand that, I want us to just, we're not going to focus too long on it, but I want to just kind of touch it, and hopefully you'll want to study some of this later on this week. It's a very interesting study. But there's three places in the Bible where the Bible actually refers to, get this, a salt covenant. Three places in the Bible. 2 Chronicles 13 and verse number 5, when David was ascending to the throne of Israel, here's what it says, Ought ye you not to know that the Lord, the God of Israel, gave the kingship over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons, listen to this, by a covenant of salt. We never thought of that, did we? Many times just reading through Scripture. See, there's so many gems in here. My goodness, we get into the Word of God, we start reading through that, and we're wow, where did that come from? And then in Leviticus chapter 2 and verse number 13, here's what the Bible says. This is the second place I wanted to share with you. And every oblation, an oblation would be anything that you would bring to an altar that you would offer to God as a sacrifice. It says, And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering, with all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. So we see salt involved in covenant relationship with God. When they were making, when they were making sacrifices to the Lord, when they were communicating to God. And so what Jesus was saying to the disciples when he said, you are the, ye are the salt of the earth, what he was saying is, you are the connection in the earth between the earth and heaven. Why? Because he's talking here about offering a meat offering and putting salt on it and always making sure that there's salt there. Well, the Bible says in the day and age in which we live that now we uh, offer ourselves to our Heavenly Father with a sacrifice of praise and with a sacrifice of thanksgiving and all of these kinds of things. I'm get, I can get a little deeper into it than I did in the first service here. And so what he is saying is, it's time for us to get on altar. It's time for us to offer ourselves to the Lord. You as a disciple, now here I am, I'm sitting here on this mountainside and there's a multitude of people down there and they'd like for me to come down there and preach to them. But it's more important for me to get what I've got inside of me, inside of you, because in just a few short months, I'm going to give my life on a cross called Calvary. But you guys are going to establish the formation of my church in the earth and my church will be the place where my power will flow through. It'll be the conduit of my power and the conduit of my anointing. And the only way that will happen is if you live in total sacrifice to me. You need to offer yourselves to the Father. So the meat offerings there. You always offer it with salt. Now Numbers 18 and verse 19 is the third place in Scripture. And I, I chose to read this out of the Amplified because it helps me understand it better. I think it probably will help all of us. It says this, all the heave offerings, and that means those that we lift up to the Lord, those that are kept out of the holy things which Israel give to the Lord. He said, I give to you and to your sons and your daughters with you as a continual debt forever. So what he was saying was, I'm going to keep giving and giving and giving and giving to you forever as if I was paying off a debt. So I'm just going to keep giving it to you forever. Now look at this. It is a covenant of salt that cannot be dissolved or violated forever before the Lord for you, Aaron, who was the first high priest of Israel, 
and for your posterity with you. So what that means is everything that's around him that will be passed from generation to generation to generation. So here's what God was saying is through a covenant of salt I'm going to pass the anointing that is on you from generation to generation to generation and it will go on throughout all of eternity through a covenant of salt. So as disciples Jesus looked at them and he said you're the salt of the earth now as a disciple of Jesus a disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ someone who learns the disciplines of Christian living and they actually take what they have learned they put it into practice and they experience the benefits of the practiced word of God in their life that's what a disciple is touch your neighbor and say you are a disciple now look at your other neighbor and say therefore you are salt You are the salt of the earth. Now, let's now now what Jesus did when he said, You're the salt of the earth, first of all, he told them how that they were going to be blessed, and then he began to talk to them about how that now this this is key. How come Jesus didn't put salt of the earth in chapter seven? How come he put it in chapter five? How come he put it at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? The reason I think is because he wanted them to understand everything that I'm teaching you, everything that I'm pouring into you is going to affect every other area of your life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you these things in the very beginning and what I get ready to teach you when we're, good, when we're learning this, understand that the doctrine that you have inside of you, the sound doctrine that you have inside of you is salty. And it will go throughout every fiber of your being in other areas of your life. Now, let's look at a few things here. Salt flavors and preserves. So when he says, you're the salt of the earth, what God is saying is the Christian should add flavor to the earth. We weren't called by God. God didn't ask us to give our life to Him and then go sit in a corner somewhere and not say anything in the corner of our house. No. In fact, He said, go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. There's other places where He said, shout my name from the housetops. There's places where He says to lift up a high praise and lift up a noisy praise unto the Lord. God didn't save you to be quiet. God saved you to be loud. And we got to start learning to live out loud. As Christians, we guard our faith. We shouldn't guard our faith. We should display our faith. We should live out loud. We should get out here for the world to be attracted to Jesus. So salt flavors and salt preserves. Salt has the ability to give flavor to something that is otherwise bland. In Job chapter 6 and verse number 6, Job said, Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? That's what it said, Job chapter 6 and verse number 6. And I can tell you right now, since I've been working out and stuff like I hate egg whites. They know, I don't even see what's the point. I, I, I'm like this, you know what? If the Lord wanted me to eat egg whites, then it would have came out of the chicken that way. There, there's no flavor in the white of an egg. Salt has the ability to give flavor to that which is otherwise bland. And so God uses us to flavor our world. God uses us to flavor. Uh, Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by him. And we never really start re living until we come into a full and active relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm not talking about knowing him and I'm not talking about knowing about him. I'm talking about being in partnership, active partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when we really start living. Now we can get direction from the Lord, but if we don't do anything with that direction, then we can't receive the benefits of that direction. But when we allow God to be our partner and we allow Him to lead us and guide us and direct us, then we can start receiving the benefits of that partnership. And it's just amazing sometimes what the Lord will do. The second thing that I want to share with you about salt is that salt hinders the spread of disease. Did you know that the Bible refers to false doctrine as a disease. The Bible talks, to it, talks about it in the Old Testament like it's a fly in the ointment of the apothecary. An apothecary is someone who mixes up medicine. And when a fly would drop into the ointment, into the oil, it would contaminate the entire mixture and they'd have to cast it out. That's like false doctrine. The Bible calls it leaven. 
There's a place in the scripture where the Bible calls it leaven. Well, salt hinders the spread of disease. So when you're full of God, when you're full of the desire for God, when you're full of the presence of God, when you're full of the power of God, when you're full of the spirit of God, then there's something that happens inside of you the minute that false doctrine is spoken in your presence, your spirit will repel it. Your spirit will say there's something wrong about with that. There's something that's just not right about that and you'll discern that. There's, and what will happen is your spirit will push back. Why? Because you're salty. You're the salt of the earth. And when we get full of God and when we get full of the word and when we get immersed in, in the word of God as Christians, we should immerse ourselves in the word of God. That means that we allow the word of God to get down inside of us and influence every single area of our lives. So I'm not worried about false doctrine. Some people run around and they're scared to death that they're going to get false doctrine. I'm not, in fact, I'm not even worried about a false prophet trying to prophesy over me. You know what? The spirit of God that's inside of me is greater than the spirit of God uh, or the spirit of the enemy that's on the outside of me. And when the enemy tries to put something on me, the spirit of God inside of me can repel it off. So don't you run around being worried about what the devil will do to you. You've got greater power than that. You've got greater anointing than that. You're salty. You're salty. So don't worry about it. False doctrine cannot coexist with sound doctrine. Something's got to give and sound doctrine is truth and truth drives out a lie every single time. Okay, now it's kind of like darkness and light. You're going to have an entire room full of darkness and light one match. Look at the power of that one match. That's the power of salt, sound doctrine inside of you. So what happens is we go along and we see that it's pushing the disease of false doctrine out of our life. It's keeping it at bay. It at bay. And the closer we get to God and the more full of God that we get and the more full of God's word that we get. And that only happens through a consistent, the constant hearing, hearing and hearing of the word of God. The more of that that happens, then all of a sudden we wake up one, one day and we realize, hey, wait a minute, my mind has changed. My feelings have changed. My conduct has changed. Why? Because the word that's inside of me has changed my heart. The word that is in you will fight the corruption that is around you. It will not allow the enemy access into your life. And, and so that's why God calls us salt. See, God desires to pre present to himself a glorious church. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 27 that he wants to present to himself a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, without any such thing. God wants to present us to him. The church is the ecclesia, the assembly of called out ones. And so what God is saying, the first place in scripture that the word church was ever used was when Jesus looked at Peter and said, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the very formation of the church, the inception of the church or the conception of it, whatever, when Jesus spoke it out, the church was formed, and in the very phrase that it was formed, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to tell them, you are the church. And if Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and you are the church, that means the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. That means the gates of hell cannot prevail against me. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. God is greater. God is more powerful than anything that the devil can throw against us. And so he desires to present to himself a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, without such thing. And the Bible says there in Ephesians 5.27 that it should be holy and without blemish to the Lord. Now, here's where I've been wanting to get all morning long. Couldn't wait to get there in the first service and now here we are in the second. Salt creates thirst. Salt creates thirst. So the first thing that we need to ask ourselves is, are we thirsty? You know, there's a, a water out there, and I, I, I can't say what kind it is in the second service because we record for television in the second service. 
I can't endorse it, but there's a particular kind of water out there that's very famous, and people will drink that water, and they'll just drink it and drink it and drink it and drink it. And they don't understand. You can get other water, spring waters and stuff. You can drink one bottle of it, and your thirst will be satisfied. But you drink two or three bottles of this, and you just want more. Well, the reason is if you look on the ingredients of it, there's a little bit of salt in it. Just a little bit. And that which intended to quench your thirst actually keeps you thirsty. Now, when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, there's a couple of things that I want to point out here. As a Christian disciple, because we are the salt of the earth, as a Christian disciple, our presence along with our saltiness, our presence should create a thirst for the move of God in the earth today. We should create a thirst for for the move of God in, in, in the earth today. Now let me say this very loudly and very clearly. If we are not thirsty for a move of God personally, then we are not salty enough. In other words, we're not spending enough time in the Word. We're not spending enough time before the Lord in prayer. and We're not spending enough time in worship. What we're doing is we're just operating on the bare minimum. But what what God is saying to us is, I want you to get salty. I want you to get thirsty for me. You are the salt of the earth. And every place that you go, people should start hungering and thirsting after God. What would happen if just this church really got cranked up for God. I mean, we're pretty cranked anyway. But what if we really got cranked up for God? What if we got so thirsty for a move of God that we had to have prayer meetings every day? Well, I just don't know about that. Hey, listen, the Holy Ghost came after they had been in the upper room for 10 solid days. They started out with 500 people. The Bible said in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3 that Jesus, after he resurrected from the dead, was seen of over 500 people. We get over to Acts chapter 2 and we find out that there is, and he told them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. All 500 of them, a little over 500 of them. We get to Acts chapter 2 and we find out 10 days later after, after he ascended that only 120 were left. But those 120 that hung in there, those 120 that said, I'm waiting on the promise. Those 120 said, he gave me a promise and he told us to wait for the promise of the Father and I'm not going anywhere until I receive what I need. Those 120 received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues and began a power walk upon the earth, the Spirit of God moving in them and flowing through them. So what would happen if we got thirsty for God? Isaiah 44, 3-4 says this, For I'll pour water upon him that is thirsty. That's what will happen. I'll pour water upon him that is thirsty. And I'll pour floods upon the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thine offspring. So what he did was he prophesied something that they could understand and then he prophesied the interpretation. Let's let's read it again with that understanding. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Interpretation, I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. And then it says, and floods upon the dry ground. Interpretation, and my blessing upon thine offering. Look at that. Verse number four. And they shall spring up as among the grass and willows by the water courses. So what God is saying is if you'll get thirsty for me, I'll pour on you. I won't just give you a glass of water. I won't give you just a couple of drops. I'll turn on the spout. You heard the term when I was growing up all the time. We're going to go to church tonight, Sunday night. You know, Sunday night was always camp meeting time. And so we'd go to church and we'd hear terms like, going to go to church tonight and get under the spout where the glory of God comes out. How many ever heard that? And I always, when I was a little boy, I always, in my mind, there was just this formulation of big old water faucet in heaven and seeing God walk over there and just turn that thing on. And we're down there just like... See, the Lord's always blessed me with creativity. That's what gets me in trouble all the time. So the Bible said if you get thirsty, I'll pour on you. What if we got thirsty? He'll pour on us. God's prophetic promise for this generation, listen to me, is global revival. 
That's his prophetic promise for this generation. Now we're going to go through a couple of scriptures. I want you to see this. Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Somebody say, that's me. Come on, all flesh. That's me. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions and upon my servants and handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. And then he talks about things that happens in the heavens and the earth. And then verse number 32 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. Zion is a type of the church. For in Mount Zion in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So we find this prophecy in Joel chapter 2 verses 28 through 32 speaking of the day and age in which we live. Then we go over to Acts chapter 1 in verse number 8 and we see where Jesus told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And he said, which you have heard of me. And they would become witnesses unto him both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. To them over there we are the uttermost parts of the earth. And then we go on in Acts chapter 2 where the Bible said they went up there. Acts 2, 1 through 4, the Bible said and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Now I want you to see something. The fact that the Bible said that those tongues of fire sat upon them and then the next phrase says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. That's where the transition took place. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes into people. So the Holy Spirit came upon them. It's like God is saying, here's the promise, here's the promise, here's the promise. Now open your mouth and receive and boom, they were filled with the Holy Spirit from the inside out. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptismo. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. So then we go on. In Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. Same chapter. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 21. Peter standing up. These 120 have now moved out of the upper room and now they're standing there and ministering. I believe it was, was it on Solomon? I believe it was on Solomon's porch. It doesn't say? Okay, but, it, but, but they were standing and ministering. And the Bible said that people gathered together and they were just, and Peter stood up and he said, these men are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on and he quotes the very same prophecy that I just read to you out of Joel chapter 2. In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men will dream, dream dreams and your young men will see visions and all my servants and handmaids in those days will I pour out of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And so basically what, what the Apostle Peter was saying was this prophecy from the book of Joel is now beginning to be fulfilled because Jesus ascended to heaven, sent back the comforter, and the manifestation of that comforter is what you are witnessing here today. They are not drunk like you think they are. They have just been under the spout where the glory comes out. They've been in the upper room. They have been baptized, soaked within and without with the Spirit of God. So then you go on down through the book of Acts and you go on and later on the Bible said that there was a Gentile there by the name of Cornelius. And the Bible said that he was an, of the Italian band and he was praying and the Bible said praying before the Lord. He was a Gentile but he was praying before the Lord and an angel appeared unto him and said send men to Joppa. There's one lodging with a guy by the name of Simon the Tanner and I want you to go get him and have him come and preach to you. Meanwhile here's Peter up on Simon the Tanner's housetop in Joppa and God sends pigs in a blanket down to him. The Bible said there was a sheep that came out of heaven and there was uh, there was pork in that sheet. There was a pig in that sheet. And God spoke to Peter and he said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, I can't do that. I'm a Jew because that's unclean meat. And God spoke to Peter and said, Don't call what I've made common or unclean. 
and it happened two or three times. And then the Lord spoke to Peter and told him, he said, there's going to be some people that's coming from a different land and I want you to go and I want you to preach Jesus to them. And right about that time, there's a knock on the door downstairs and the Bible said that Cornelius had sent a band of people and he goes there and the Bible said the Jews went with Peter over there and Peter stands up and he begins to preach and the Bible said the Jews were utterly amazed because that on the Gentiles the Holy Spirit was poured out because all of those who believed were magnifying and praising God and speaking in other tongues. That's in the book of Acts. And then you just go all the way through the book of Acts and you find out that the book of Acts is the only Bible in the New Testament that doesn't have an ending. Why? Because we're still living in the days of Joel's prophecy. In the last day, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. What's going to cause that to happen if we get thirsty? We have to become salt. We have to become salt. Peter and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew and James the son of Zebedee. We just go on through all of the 12 different disciples there. We can go on through them. Jesus was teaching them all, get thirsty, get thirsty, get thirsty. You are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Wherever you go, you got to create thirst. Wherever you go, you got to be drinking from the fountain that never runs dry. Wherever you go, you got to be receiving the Spirit of God inside of you. And once you receive it inside of you, you got to let it pour outside of you. So we see this. God's prophetic promise for this generation is global revival. Now in order for that to happen, something had to take place called the formation of the church. (laughs) Oh, this this is a powerful scripture here. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So what he's saying is we're all one with Christ. For by one spirit, somebody say one spirit, we were were all baptized into one body, one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, now look at this, and have made all, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. What does that mean? That means the same Holy Ghost that baptized them on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Ghost that baptizes us today. It's the same Spirit of God. It's the same power. It's the same anointing. It's the same presence of Almighty God. And we are all part of the same body of Christ that was formed by Jesus when he looked at Peter and said, you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is the organism that God created for the fulfillment of the last day outpouring of his spirit that will culminate in global revival. Woo, hallelujah. (laughs) We're God's remnant. We're God's remnant. We're God's people. His desire is that we are salty. Is that we are salty. Now, we're connected across the expanse of time as one body in Christ because we're all drinking from the same well. I refuse to give up on the millennials. My heart is reaching for them. I've been doing some studying and I'm hearing all these kinds of things about how that there's 59% of millennials that are leaving church and they're never coming back and 30 some percent of them don't even think that church is relevant and all of these kinds of things and I was just and I was sharing these things with Dr. John and I was we were having staff meetings and we were talking about it and I was telling him I said you know we got to do something we got, you know God needs to save this generation we need to reach out I realized no generation it can, I realize it can't all be about just one generation 
I understand that, okay? But but when you have these these kinds of we, we got to th- and I said we got to reach out to them. We got to reach out to them. And so I continued to dig and continued to study. And this past week, I ran across something that made me go, "Ooh, glory to God!" <laughs> Y'all want to hear what it is? Okay, all of these studies that they're studying. They're studying out of mainline denominations. Yes, the millennials are leaving. They're leaving the Catholic Church. They're leaving the Episcopalian Church. They're leaving the churches that are non-spirit-filled churches, but the millennial population in spirit-filled churches is rising like a tide. You know why? Because they're leaving those churches where there's no power, where there's no demonstration of the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something, church. We better be on our game. Our speech and our preaching better not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but it better be in the power and in the demonstration of the Spirit of God. Because if we don't produce what we profess and if we don't live what we teach and preach, they'll leave the Spirit-filled church too. I'm just crazy enough to believe that God is saying, I'm going to pour my spirit out in the spirit-filled churches around the world. And there's going to be a global revival of the Holy Ghost around the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It lines up with prophecy. It lines up with the last day prophecy. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Well, if the vessel isn't open, it'll splash off. But when the blessed, but when the vessel is open, come on, pour out. When the vessel is open, God will pour His spirit into us. Now, I'm not preaching against Catholics, and I'm not preaching against Episcopals and all that kind. Of, I just want them to get the Holy Ghost. I just want to see the power of God just run all around this world and all around the church. And and we as a church, listen, as a church, we've got to get thirsty. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, are you salty? You know the beautiful thing about salt? I can bring a 55-gallon bucket of water up here or a barrel of water up here and I can put one teaspoon of salt in it. I can add another 100 gallons of water to that 55 gallons, and it's still salt water. Now listen. (laughs) When we get salty enough, everywhere we go, revival fires will start. And I want God to do it right here in West Pasco County. And I want God to do it in Central Pasco. And I want Him to do it in East Pasco. And I want Him to do it in Hillsboro. And I want him to do it in Pinellas County. And I want him to do it just all across the entire state. of. In fact, I want the Lord to give us a national revival. God, move up move up from, from city to city, from border to border. Father, from sea to shining sea, let the power of God, let, like salt, just let it travel like salt would, God. Just let it travel. Let it travel. Let revival fires begin to just start and dot all over the landscape. In fact, let's just say North America. Lord, just pour it out on Canada too, God. Pour out revival upon Canada. Canada too. And Lord, take it up there into Alaska, Father. And let's go across those straits and get on over into Russia. And let it come down over on that side of the world too, God. Send your power around the world. I want to see revival in Asia. My God, what if China got on fire for God? What if Japan got on fire for God? What if Australia? Well, they're on fire for God. <laughs> Africa. Africa. Reinhard Bunke went to Africa. And in three days, 1.3 million people gave their life to Jesus Christ. Don't tell me that God is not moving. Don't tell me that the millennials of our, our, our day don't want to move a God. Don't tell me that when down in Peru, they're pulling thousands and thousands and thousands of people in. In Pakistan, they're raising the dead and 30,000 people are getting saved in a day. Glory to God. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm trying to say, let's lick our fingers, stick it in the wind, find out what direction the Spirit of God is moving and jump right in the middle of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Let's get thirsty for God. Let's get hungry for God. Let's start seeing us as a people of revival. Let's start seeing our community as a place of revival. Let's start seeing our families as families of revival. Let's experience the move of God as the waters cover the sea. Let the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. You sound radical. Leave me alone. I like myself like this. I can truthfully say my whole life I have been unexplainably hungry for a move of God. I'm not talking about some little dabble, do you? You know, when we go home and we've sang our little three songs and the preachers preach the little three and a little poem, you know, and everybody goes, woohoo, oh, oh, that felt good. And, 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 you know, drop the little tithe and offering, all that kind of stuff. And we go home and we feel like we've done our duty. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. We got to get passionate about God again. Come on, the church. I'm not just talking about us, I'm talking about the whole church, the church around the world. We have to get passionate about God again. Those of us that live in these rich nations, we have to get passionate about God again, passionate about the move of God again. So what if I have to give up a cheeseburger if it means God will move? Fast our way into a move of God. Pray our way into a move of God. Sacrifice our way into a move of God. Call down the move of God through the confession of the word coming out of our mouth. Expecting to receive from the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, our prayer today in closing should be God, make me salty. Make me salty. God, make me salty. God, send Revival. We're going to do what we did at the last of the first service. Come up here. Pastor Josh and Ashley and Brother Moses and Tashi Ann. Both of these couples are in that millennial group. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. And we have others in the church that are, but they're both, you know, in ministry. And I want, I want them to know, and, I, I, and I've told them over and over and over again, I got you back. Somebody finds fault with the way you want to worship, you tell them talk to pastor. Because I'll tell them, don't mess with their praise. I want to see God pour out His Spirit upon that millennial generation. You know what? When it pours out on the millennial generation, it'll pour out on all of us. It'll pour out on all of us. Had a gentleman several years ago, I was about 30, in my 30s, early 30s, and he was up in his 70s. And he looked at me and he said, my mind still works, but I need younger legs. <laughs> so he was, I'm beginning to understand that more and more. But he would look at me and he would pour into me and pour into me and then he would look at me and say, now go run. Now go run. And I'm telling you right now, church, he'd go off and he'd pray for me and I'd go run. I was running all over the United States, running all over different places, trying to get revival, start planting churches, raising up ministries. Well, now it's my time to say, go run. Now, I'm young enough to run with them for a while. I might get winded. I'll run with them for a while. They may have to come back to me every now and then and say, we got you. <laughs> but I want to see God pour His Spirit out. I want to see revival. And I've, I asked them in the last service, I'm asking them today, I want them all just to kind of pass the mic between them. And they're going to pray for revival. And we're going to come into agreement with them for revival on their generation, which we understand because we've served God a long time, that will also bring revival to our generation. But let's get behind them and let's pray with them. And I'm going to ask them to pray. And we're going to join in agreement with them as they pray for revival. Come on, let's do it now. (laughs) 
Father, hear our hearts this morning. As we started from the time of worshiping you with song and to moving in and hearing your word, God, may the resounding message of our hearts be this morning. We're here. Hear us. We're here waiting on you, O God. Our hearts desire to see you move, O God. Our hearts desire a fresh anointing, a fresh movement of your presence, O God. Lord, I'm asking right now as I asked in first service, bring revival, God. Bring revival, God. Bring revival, God. Bring revival, God. Shake us. Shake us and shake us and shake us until you see the place that our hearts are ready for you to come. God, I'm asking that you pour out your spirit, that you pour out your spirit, that it rains down upon the earth, oh God. That it starts right here, right now, oh God. That it starts in our personal lives. Bring us to a place of righteousness, oh God. That when we are alone with you in the places of our houses, that the revival starts right there. It starts personally in all of our lives. And God, as we come together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we see you pour out more and more and more and more and more and more. God, I ask that you make us so hungry and thirsty for your presence that we can never get enough. Never enough. That we run after you with our entire lives, searching and seeking for more and more of your presence to change this earth. Prepare us, God. Prepare us today for what you are going to do and what you have started to do. Prepare our hearts right now, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, Father God, we thank you. We come hungry, God, on this day. God, we welcome your presence. Oh, we lift you up right now. God, fill our hearts, God, right now. Oh, Father, fill it, God, with a hunger and a thirst. You seek of such who worship you in spirit and truth. And God, as we come before you, God, asking God for revival, seek the hungry ones. Now, God, fill us, God, with a hunger. God, we ask God today right now, God, the river that's on the inside of us, the Holy Ghost, let it be a well springing up out of us of living water. Oh, God, fill us until we want no more. God, I ask God that you would touch the hearts and the minds of those, God, who have assembled. God, not just in this church, but their loved ones, their sons, their daughters, God, their nieces and nephews, God, their grandchildren, God. I pray right now, God, I pray over households. God, I thank you, you would do like you did with Paul and the prisoner, that you would just not touch God the man, but God, that you would touch the entire household. Start and spark a revival on the inside of each and every one of us and in the household that will burn throughout the family. God, I thank you, God, for a consuming fire. Lord God, we lift our hands up to you, asking you right now, God, let that fire begin to burn in us now. More of your spirit, more of your fire, more of the Holy Ghost right now. Now, God, I touch and agree, God, with Josh. God, I touch and agree, God, with Ashley and Tashi and God, even Pastor Voice, God, right now. And Lakewood. God, we thank you, God, you would touch the Pasco County. We ask God you don't stop there, God, you touch east and west, that you move down to Pinellas, and God, that you would move over into Hillsboro. Now, God, we don't know if we'll be the start of it, but God, we will be a part of the river that flows. And we ask God that you don't allow your spirit to move, God, without us. God, we ask that you would, God, invite us, God, into that experience. And, God, we welcome you, God, in this place. Now, God, you told, God, us to create a place, God, where you can abide, where you can dwell. And, God, we ask you, God, right now that you would fill the atmosphere with such a hunger, such a tangible presence that, God, pastor wouldn't be able to preach. God, the singers wouldn't be able to sing. God, that your anointing and the glory cloud of the Lord would fill this atmosphere. And under that presence, 
that God, you will begin to meet needs, God. Bills will be paid. Debts will be paid, God. Limbs will be renewed. Sicknesses will be healed. We thank you, God. We hunger not just for a move, but a place where you can abide. A revival that will take over for years and millenniums to come until the day that you return. In Jesus' name. Father God, you're awesome, God. You're glorified in this place today, Lord. We welcome you, Father God. We just lift up your name, Yehovah. There's none like you, Father God. Oh, God, we just want to tell you for the new hunger that we have for you, God. Because that word that has went forth this morning, Father God, it is already bringing a harvest, Father God. We thank you for that harvest in the name of Jesus, Lord. We thank you for the hunger to wake up and to seek you early, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we'll be willing, dear God, to bring ourselves as the living sacrifice, dear God, that you will be pleased with the offering, dear God, that we give you, Lord, and that through worshiping you and seeking you, Father God, for revival, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you said that we should seek you, God, and we will find you. We bless you, Father God, and as we seek you with an earnest heart, Father God, in the name of Jesus, with a repentant heart, dear God, that we will find you, that as we knock, dear God, on the doors of revival, that they will be open, Father God, in the name of Jesus. We send forth the angels, dear God, that you've sent forth to minister to us, Lord. We send them forth, dear God, to minister revival, dear God. God, to the ears of your people, dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray Lord, that they will have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, Father God, what the Spirit, dear Heavenly Father, God, that you have sent for, dear God, that you are sending your revival, dear God, not only in this county, Father God, but in the state, dear God, in the nation at large, Father God, in the countries, dear Heavenly Father, God, of these nations, dear Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bless you, Lord. That your word will come to pass, dear God. Remember you said in your word, dear Heavenly Father God, that your word will come to pass, Lord. You said that you have exalted your word, dear Heavenly Father God, above all your name. And we bless you, dear God, for that word, dear God, that will come to pass, that will manifest. We come in agreement with that word, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we partner with you, dear God, to bring this word to pass, for it to manifest in our personal lives, dear God, as we go for it, dear God, into our jobs, Lord, as we go for it, dear God, into the marketplace, Father God, as we go for it into our homes, it will manifest with us first, dear God, and we bless you for the abundance of the harvest, dear God, that will come forth. As a result of us manifesting your glory, we bless you for it another time. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God, I thank you. I am so grateful for the presence that you've given us today. God, for the word that you've given us. And Lord Jesus... I am so thankful that your promises are always true and your word declares that you will come back, that you will pour out your spirit, God. Your word promises us revival and I take authority in that, Lord Jesus. I take peace in that, Lord Jesus, and I am expecting it to come to pass. Lord Jesus, I pray right now over each heart. Lord Jesus, your word declares that everything comes from our heart, Lord Jesus. That's why we invite you to be there, to make your home there. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would refresh hearts for a move of your spirit, Lord Jesus, that you would soften hearts to return back to you, Lord Jesus, to listen to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would break our hearts, God, for what breaks yours. God, my heart is broken and desperate for a move of your spirit like I have never seen before. Lord Jesus, I am broken for the lost, and I pray that you would allow us to each feel that each day. God, give us opportunities. God, for those who are willing, give them opportunities 
to not be limited to their five. Lord Jesus, I'm praying for my five, Lord God, but that is not a limit for you. God, for each person that we encounter through our day, that is an opportunity. God, in any small way for us to show who you are, God, and that is how we will bring revival. God, we've been talking about how strong your relationship can be with other people. They are desperate. Our neighbors are desperate. Our friends, are, our coworkers, our families, Lord Jesus, they need you, and we need to be you to them. I pray that you would show us wisdom and show us opportunities to reach out to be your hands and feet. And we thank you in expectation for what you are going to do. Not what we are hoping you to do, not what we know you can do, but what we believe you are already doing. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for all you do for us. And in your name, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, church. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just agree now. Come on, church, let's agree. Father, we agree with these young people, Father, as they've prayed for revival. Father, we agree with them. We join our hearts with them as they go after you and as we go after you together. We give you praise. Now, Father, I pray over this congregation of people. I call them what you call them, the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath, the lenders and not the borrowers, that everything that they touch would be blessed and would be anointed. Thank you that we live in your favor and your blessing. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number four, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the word will work if you work the word.